0: Section 2 of Monday Tales This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet Translated by Miriam McIntyre Section 2 A Game of Billiards Even soldiers are exhausted after two days' fighting, especially if they have passed the night knapsacks upon their backs, torrents of rain descending upon them, and yet for three mortal hours they had been left to wait in the puddles along the highway, in the mire of fields soaked with rain. Heavy with fatigue, weakened by the effects of previous nights, their uniforms drenched, they pressed closer together for warmth and support. Here and there, leaning upon a neighbor's knapsack, a man had fallen asleep standing, and upon the relaxed faces of these men, overcome by sleep, might be read more plainly than before the traces which weariness and privations had made. In the mud and rain, without fire, without food, overhead a sky heavy and lowering, around them on every side, the enemy, dismal indeed. What are they doing yonder? What is going on? The guns with their mouths turned toward the woods seem to be lying in wait. The mitrailleuses from their hiding places stare fixedly at the horizon. All is ready for an attack. Why is none made? For what are they waiting? They await orders from headquarters, but none come. And yet it is only a short distance to the headquarters, to the beautiful Louis the Thirteenth chateau, whose red brick walls, washed by the rain, are seen halfway up the hill, glistening through the thickets. Truly, a princely dwelling well worthy of bearing the fanion of a marshal of France. Separated from the main road by a big trench and a ramp of stone are green, smooth-shaven lawns extending even to the stone steps of the chateau and bordered with vases of flowers. On the side of the house farthest away from the road the daylight darts through the leafage of the arbors, making bright openings in them. Upon an artificial pond which sparkles like a mirror swans are swimming— under the pagoda-shaped roof of a large aviary, peacocks and golden pheasants strut about, spreading their wings and sending their shrill cries through the foliage. Though the owners of the house have departed, there is nowhere a perceptible sign of that ruin and utter desolation which war brings in its train. Under the orflamme of the chief of the army, not the smallest flower dotting the lawn has been destroyed, and it is indescribably charming to discover, so near the field of battle, that calm and opulence, that result from systematic care, to observe such evenly trimmed shrubberies, such silent avenues of shade. The rain, which in its descent elsewhere has rutted the roads and heaped them with mire, in this quarter has been nothing more than an aristocratic shower, nothing vulgar about it. It has revived the red tints of the bricks, the verdure of the lawn, It has added fresh luster to the leaves of the orange trees, to the swan's white plumage. Everything glistens. The scene is peaceful. In fact, were it not for the flag floating from the top of the roof and the sight of two sentinels before the gate, one would never believe headquarters were here. The horses are resting in the stables. Here and their officers servants are seen, and orderlies in undress, lounging about the kitchens of the chateau, and now and then a gardener tranquilly dragging his rake through the sand of the grounds. In the dining-room, whose windows front the entrance of the chateau, is seen a table partly cleared, bottles uncorked, glasses tarnished, empty and dimmed, resting upon the wrinkled cloth. In short, every indication that the repast is ended. The guests have departed, but in a side-room loud voices are heard, peals of laughter, the rolling of billiard balls, and the clinking of glasses. The marshal has just started upon his game, and that is why the army is waiting for orders. Once the marshal has begun, the heavens might fall, but nothing on earth would hinder him from finishing his game. For if the mighty soldier has a single weakness, it is his fondness for billiards. There he stands, as grave as though a battle had begun. He is in full uniform, his breast covered with decorations, his repast, the grog he has drunken, and the excitement of the game animate him. His eyes sparkle and his cheekbones are flushed. About him gather his aides-de-camp, most assiduous in their attentions, deferential and overcome with admiration at each of his shots. When the marshal makes a point, they rush towards the mark. Is the marshal thirsty? Each one desires to prepare his grog, such a rustling of epaulettes and panaches, such a rattling of crosses and aiguillettes How they bow and smile, these courtiers! What elegance and charm of manner! And then to see such embroideries, so many new uniforms in this lofty chamber carved in oak, opening upon parks and courts of honor. It reminds one of those autumns of Compagna and makes him forget for a moment those figures in muddied cloaks gathered yonder in the roads, making such somber groups as they wait in the rain. The marshal's adversary is an officer of his staff, a little captain who curls and laces and wears tight gloves. He is an excellent shot at billiards, and could beat all the marshals on earth, but he understands how to keep at a respectful distance from his chief and exercises all his skill in playing so that he shall neither win nor seem to lose too readily. Evidently an officer with an eye for the future. Attention, young man, look out! The marshal is five points ahead. If you can end the game as you have begun it, your promotion is surer than it would be were you standing outside with the others, beneath those torrents of water that darken the horizon. It would be a pity, too, to soil that fine uniform— "'and tarnish the gold of its aguilettes, "'waiting for orders that never come. "'The game is extremely interesting. "'The balls roll, graze each other, and pass. "'They rebound. "'Every moment the play grows more exciting, "'but suddenly a flash of light is seen in the sky "'and the report of a cannon is heard. "'A heavy, rumbling sound shakes the windows. "'Everyone starts and casts an uneasy glance about him, The marshal alone remains unmoved. He sees nothing, hears nothing, for, leaning over the table, he is about to make a magnificent draw shot. Draw shots are his forte. But again that flash, and again, from the cannon fresh reports, and near together now, the aides de camp run to the window. Can it be that the Prussians are attacking? Let them, says the marshal, "'chalking his cue. "'Your turn, Captain.' "'The staff thrills with admiration. "'Turine asleep upon a gun carriage "'was nothing compared to this marshal, "'so calmly absorbed in his game "'at the moment of action. "'But all this time the tumult increases. "'With the shock of the cannon "'mingles the rattling of the mitrailleuses "'and the rumbling of volley upon volley. "'A reddish cloud dark at the edges "'rises from the further end of the lawn.' All the rear of the park is on fire. Frightened peacocks and pheasants clamor in the aviary. Arabian horses away in the stables scent the powder and rear in their stalls. At headquarters, a general commotion begins. Dispatch follows dispatch. Messengers arrive at a gallop. Everywhere they are asking for the marshal. But the marshal is unapproachable. Have I not told you that nothing in the world could hinder him from finishing a game once begun? Your play, captain. But the captain is distracted. Ah, youth is youth. He loses his head, forgets what he is about, and makes two successive runs which almost win the game for him. And now the marshal is furious. Surprise and indignation are visible upon his manly features. At this very moment a horse rushes into the courtyard at full speed and drops exhausted. An aide-de-camp covered with mud forces the sentry, Makes one bound over the stone steps, crying, Marshal! Marshal! And this is his reception. The marshal, red as a cock and swelling with anger, appears at the window, cue in hand. Who is there? What is it? Is there no sentry here? But, Marshal! Oh, yes, yes, later. Let them wait for my orders, in God's name! And the window closes with a bang. Let them wait for his orders. And that is exactly what they are doing, these poor fellows. The wind drives rain and grape shot in their faces. Whole battalions are slaughtered, whilst others, perfectly useless, stand bearing arms, unable to understand why they remain inactive. Nothing else to do. They wait for orders. But men may die without a word of command, and these men die in hundreds falling behind bushes, dropping in trenches in front of that great, silent chateau. And even after death, the grape-shot continues to lacerate their bodies, and from these gaping wounds flows a silent stream, the generous blood of France. And above, yonder, in the billiard-room, all is as excited as upon the battlefield— For the marshal has regained his advantage, and the little captain is playing like a lion. Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, scarcely time to mark the points. The sound of battle grows nearer and nearer. The marshal has but one more point to play for. Already shells are falling in the park. One has burst in the pond. Its glassy sheet reddens, and a terrific swan is seen swimming amid a whirl of bloody plumage. And now the last shot. And then, deep silence. Only the sound of rain falling upon the leafage of the arbors, only an indistinct rumbling noise at the foot of the hill, and along the muddy roads a sound like the tramping of hurrying herds. The army is utterly routed. The marshal has won his game. End of section two.